Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. I am your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. This show is an exploration of the problems and solutions, ideas and concepts, growth and development, nuance and complexity behind emerging market startup ecosystems. Each season, I share unique conversations filled with stories from early stage founders, ecosystem builders, investors, and innovators from the front lines of global change and innovation. You will gain fresh perspective and insights, as well as learn from those on the ground who are creating the shifts and driving the action. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is a part of the Rare Birds family of podcasts. You can find all our podcasts, TV, magazine, and additional resources by visiting our platform at www.rarebirdshq.com. The Rarebirds platform is on a mission to share the ingenuity occurring across emerging markets, one story at a time. We're here to help you as you journey along the ever-changing environment in emerging markets. We're not in the Rwanda kind of where you know, the, everything has ended and, you know, you're you are moving to places. Somalia is still in the transition from a failed state to a proper government. Even though the small brands will never compete in price, what we've been seeing is that uh, they can compete on, on story. And for us, what we do, we are storytellers. You know, it's also the kind of tea that you're making and the kind of name that you've kind of created in the market Mm. Uh, which is uh, which you kind of value with all your heart and soul. You just say, you know, let's change Africa or a solution for Africa or, or something like that because um, it's really just, just dopamine driven conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. It just doesn't really make sense to talk about a solution for Africa because Africa, Africa is not really, there is no one solution that works for Africa. Right now, um, we believe that the robotic arm, especially, is the type of robot that can help solve many problems, not only in one sector, but in different sectors around the continent at the same time. It can be a big problem for market. And sometimes in these markets too, you know, scaling doesn't happen overnight. It takes, you don't build an application over a year or two years, scale to like maybe a 600,000 or 1 million customers. It doesn't happen that way. It really takes a while. People are, people really are carefully spending the few dollars they have. Welcome back to the continuation of Series 10, 54 Days Across Africa, a collaboration with Ghana's Startup Lounge Africa. Startup Lounge Africa is a platform designed to encourage sustainable and collaborative growth of startups in Ghana and across the African continent. Their most recent initiative, Utana Africa, is a platform designed with an all-in-one solution to facilitate sustainable and exponential growth processes for African businesses. The 54 Days Across Africa tour is aimed at highlighting startups from across the African continent. We're now on the East Africa block of the tour and you will hear me in conversation with seven startup founders hailing from Ethiopia, Kenya, South Sudan, Rwanda, Malawi, and lastly, Uganda. If you have not already done so, please listen in to the previous episodes, numbers 198 through 202, 
to hear from the founders of Startup Lounge Africa, Prince and Samuel, as well as to listen in to some of the startups featured in the West Africa block of the tour. So from our data left, getting into the data, mining the data, we did realize that uh, there's a need for an artificial intelligence, a capability tech commands that can help customers simply solve these problems without even them getting to the store. Then we have orthopedic. These have to do with bones. If you break a limb, uh, what kind of product do you need for your elbow or for your knee? Um, yeah, for different joints have different orthopedic products. When we first came up with this event planning business, our main aim was to become the biggest event planner in Africa. And after achieving that, we can promote Africans' culture, Africans' talent, and Africans' Africans heritage to the global audience. That's why we want to join the event planning business. So we really got interested from there. Uh, we told them about tech, so the deaf were like, they really got excited. They told us, ah, if you guys are really doing something about tech, why can't you just come and start working with us? Because we've been wanting someone who can assist them, especially on the technical bit. So we are growing. Uh, we are babies, but we will continue to grow as, as a nation. And I believe that going forward five, six years from now, we'll, we'll have a different Malawi. We, we also train them on to how they can respond to the customers, how they can respond to these uh, to, 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 to deliveries that they're supposed to do. So it is them, it is the riders and the passengers telling them where they wanted this to go and where they wanted you know, their, their, their delivery to be done. We are rebuilding the all-in-one platform uh, for freelancing, uh, outsourcing, remote working alongside with talent development and workforce management solutions for businesses and African talents. Greetings, Edgar, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Yeah, great to be here. Fantastic. Really excited to have you on the show, Edgar. So, Edgar, where are we speaking to you from today? Yeah, right now I'm in Kampala in Uganda, East Africa. Great. So Edgar is in Kampala, Uganda. So all the listeners listening in, this is Edward in Kampala. So Edgar, tell us about you and your background outside of the startup Medihub that you're building. Who is Edgar? Yeah, so uh, my background, uh, uh, Edgar is an economist uh, right from Macquarie University. Uh, I was employed for about the first uh uh, six or seven years after university. And I later on ventured into uh, private uh, employment, a private business. So um, I've been in a couple of businesses, but along the way, uh, I saw a need for a, a healthcare a solution for our country. Yeah, and that's how MediHub came into play. So more of an entrepreneur, um, a growth hacker, a product manager, and uh, uh, I, I like to solve a couple of problems on our continent using digital solutions. So uh, I'll be really happy to share with you about MediHub. Yeah, definitely. So you're an economist by training, but uh, 
You got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, and here we are. One of many yeah, projects. So I also delved into software development. So because I got passionate about technology, yeah, I went, I did a course on software development as well. And so when I do product management, at least I know a bit about what the devs are doing. So it's easy for me to guide them. Yes. And you are interested in crypto and blockchain as well. You said you got into that back in 2016, right? Yeah, uh, a friend of mine, a Spanish friend of mine, uh, shared with me about crypto back then. I thought he was not okay, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, turned out, it turned out he was the he was the guy who was okay. Uh, but I, I was open minded. I I I welcomed the idea and I invested in my first mining pool back then in 2016. Bitcoin was about 400. $500. So I teamed up with a couple of friends back in 2017. We started a startup called CoinPesa, which was the first locally owned crypto exchange in Uganda. We've had our issues, but we're still trying to push forward our CoinPesa as well. Great. Okay. So let's talk about Medihub. What is the story behind Medihub, Edgar? Yeah, so, so in my country or even most of Africa, our, our healthcare systems are really underdeveloped. Um, MediHub as a platform is uh, an online uh, marketplace for medical surgeries and equipment. We, uh, our niche is medical surgeries and equipment. We don't want to go into telemedicine as yet uh, or remote uh healthcare uh, diagnostics. So we, we basically want to be like the go to the way you go to a pharmacy and you buy gloves or sanitizer or masks, but we want to make accessibility of these uh, sundries online. Uh, what we had with the COVID pandemic, uh, it ex- really exposed the healthcare system globally. Uh, when we had hospitals that ran out of beds and patients had to treat themselves from home, uh, so, so with an on-demand online uh, medical surgery marketplace, we believe, uh, I mean, there's still new waves coming in or even any other pandemics that will come our way in the future. We, we want to make it easy for people to, to, to order surgeries that really do not need uh, a doctor to tell you what, how to use them. Uh, you could order them online, have them delivered, and have a quick fix, whether it's an accident or, or you just got in some emergency health condition. Yeah, you, you could be able to make use of, of these surgeries and then uh, uh, before you actually... So it's more of like uh, a fast aid remedy. Mm. Now, just just from listening into you, I believe that your startup is solving so many problems, indirect and direct problems. But what would you say is the main problem that your startup is solving? Your marketplace for medical sundries and equipment, and what exactly are you solving? So, so what we're solving is accessibility to 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 these uh, sundries and equipment. Uh, I'll share with you an example. Um, Sometime back, I needed to buy for my mom a crutch because I think he got he got a bit of a disjoint and uh, he wasn't working. She wasn't working properly, so uh, I I didn't know any 
shop locally here in, here in my city where I could actually walk in and buy this. We, we launched in May last year um, as a result of having seen um, the, the lockdown and COVID coming in. I wasn't ready yet, but uh, the need for this platform was much more evident when that happened later on. But we had already seen a problem, a gap in the market that we wanted to address. Okay, so when did you actually launch the, the website, the platform? Yeah, so we've been coding for almost a year and a half now, uh, since June last year. Um, the first few months were about, you know, ideation and strategy, but um, there was, the site has been on, uh, I think, for about uh, uh, coming five months now. It's been live, I think, June this year. Okay, great. Now let's dive in a little bit into exactly how this works. So you mentioned earlier that there there are supplies, but they're just, it's accessibility. They're not reaching the people that need them. So your platform allows vendors to sell directly. Is it business to business or business to consumer? Yeah, it's, it's both business to business and business to consumer. So we allow, we've actually built a vendor uh, online system uh, that makes it easy for vendors to to sign up and then onboard their own products, uh, and these products can then uh, uh, be, can then get on our website. So um, uh, we also have built a courier engine because. Uh, we partnered with one of the career companies that actually delivers for Jumia locally, and they can actually use the, our own system. Uh, when when an order is made, then they get an alert in the system that uh, this order is ready to be delivered, and this person is in this location, and they can pick up that order from the vendor and then have it delivered. So we have the whole user journey in one place as MediHub. We have the website, we have the vendor system, we have the courier uh, platform as well, and then we have mobile apps. Okay, so you have the vendors selling directly on your platform. They can, they log in, they, I guess they, it's sort of like they have a, their own account. They can come in and they can sell directly to other businesses or consumers. You have the couriers uh, or the agents who are also able to come on and, and sort of they're the middle person delivering between the vendor and the business or the, or the consumer, whoever needs it. And I think you, on your website, you mentioned you do consulting, right? Yeah, so so that will come in a little bit later when we have uh, uh like when the deliveries for the for the supplies is really doing well, uh, then we can bring in like medical consulting as well because uh, some of our users might not know how to you know ably use a certain uh, equipment on our platform, so we will need to have. Uh, professions like uh, medical workers on board who can ably uh, advise the users or, or the patients. Okay, and you mentioned you have the app. So is this for the consumer? The consumer can download the app and they they can access your services through through the app? Yeah, sure. 
Okay. Now I'm curious to know how did this all, how did, can you explain to us how this all works outside of your platform? So you said, for example, at the beginning that there, there's, there, the suppliers are there, but they don't advertise. People don't know about them. So how would this normally work? How would people and businesses normally get access, hospitals, everybody normally get access to these supplies? So, so uh, uh, part of the market that we want to address are hospitals, clinics, uh, medical centers, government institutions like Ministry of Health, uh, health workers, teaching institutions, pharmacies, uh, nursing homes. So normally these, these are the, the, the entities that actually buy these sundries and equipment because then a patient can find them uh, in those premises, but uh, or if if a patient knows where to get this uh, equipment or sundries, they could move to that place. But these the the the, the companies that sell these supplies are not out there advertising. Uh, they they don't have online platforms. So in my country, uh, I don't know anyone actually who is doing the same thing that I'm doing and is is online. The the couple of people who are doing what I'm doing, but their businesses are not online. So what we want to do is uh, partner with these institutions, uh, hospitals and clinics and government agencies uh, to make easy for them to actually purchase uh, these supplies online and also partner with the vendors. A couple of vendors have these uh, supplies, but they don't get as much market because they are off that. So if we put them online, that will make it easy for them to actually sell more. Right, right. So there's a there's like sub supply chain inefficiencies. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you mentioned vendors, so I'm thinking, let's say, like you said, your target market are hospitals and clinics. They have to deal with multiple vendors as well, right? Don't they? Yeah. True. Right. Right. So this also uh, the the need to to deal with multiple vendors is also a problem because I can't. I think that can be quite. I imagine that can be quite difficult to manage. And then you have to track everything. There's the management of those supplies. I mean, this is such a, a big. It, it's so much bigger than just making it accessible on the platform, right? Because there's all these other um, aspects that you that you realize that you are solving those problems at the same time. So for, I'm thinking yeah. like also like also deliveries, you have the courier agent because those things need to be delivered because normally maybe there would be delays in those deli the delivery of those goods, those products. Yeah, that as well. And in addition, uh, I mean, if you have a couple of vendors who are making the same product and you can profile it online, uh, then you make it easy for, for these entities like hospitals and clinics to actually uh, get better quality because they can check which product works better. I mean, we, give, we do reviews on our platform. Uh, we give a little bit more detail about each product. So just like, you know, you want to order a product on Amazon, you first read the reviews and then those reviews make help you make an informed decision on, you know, uh, if you could go ahead and purchase that product. 
Right. It helps with inventory management because you you know what is available, what is not available, and then you you can move forward with what you need and, and manage around that as well. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So talk to us about your your customers. So you said your target market are is it hospitals and healthcare facilities mostly? Yeah, so that's on the side of B2B. Okay. But uh, uh, we believe most of our clients will come from B2C because uh, health is not something we can run away from. Uh, health, um, I mean, everyone, if you get a health issue uh, from what the experiences we've had with COVID, uh, everything else comes to a standstill. So it's, it's one of those important aspects of, of you know, of, as being human and as you know being able to live in this world uh, healthy so we we believe um just like you you run into any hospital and you find so many patients out there uh we 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 want most of these patients uh uh, most times, you know, in, in my country, every time you go to the hospital, you have to pay consulting fee. Uh, most of our people, you know, usually don't have that money. But if, if they can find readily available information about a product they need to use uh, online, let's say you need an oximeter for your COVID issues. So if you can find information on our platform, you can purchase the oximeter uh, without necessarily having to move to a, a health facility or having to go see a doctor. Because my team, uh, we have a doctor on board, so we, we can easily provide uh, the same information that you would get from, from the hospital. So makes it easy for patients uh, to make their decisions online and have access to the supplies much faster. Right, 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 definitely. And you mentioned you have a doctor on, on board. We're gonna we're gonna get to your team soon. Okay, so uh, doctors and patients, healthcare facilities. I'm really curious about brokers, the, the middleman. Uh, I imagine with 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 like with any industry, medical supplies also has these middlemen. Are brokers coming to your platform as well? Um. So, so if you're a middleman uh, and and you're trying to to make purchases on our platform, then you actually use. Uh, we don't look at you as a middleman because mm. uh, we put out the platform for anyone to actually purchase. So, if they can actually purchase, and maybe they're purchasing at a, a better price and they really want to resell these products. I mean, it's up to them if they know what to find their market, but we want to make it easier and a bit more affordable uh, because then uh, if, if we are looking at bigger numbers uh, and we can make some money from those bigger numbers, then it would be better for us to make it a bit cheaper to attract more people to purchase on the platform. Okay, right. I understand. Are your products all new or are they used as well? Our medical products have to be new because, I mean, you can't sell used medical products. Uh, uh, I I don't think you'd even get licensed by, by government. I guess I'm so, thinking, 
I'm thinking about like machines for like, because I, I, the next follow-up question I was going to ask you is what kind of products? Because there are some medical products like machines, for example, that I use, but I don't know if those are what you're selling. So maybe I should ask what kind of products are you selling? Yeah, so so we, we have... Um... If you, if, you, if you check on our website, we, we, we categorize most of the products that we sell. And, and medical products are, are really, really, uh, there's a whole uh, uh, wide range of products because you, you could, there could be dental products. Dental mm. machines are unique in their own way. They are diagnostic products. Uh, these are products that uh, a doctor uses to check uh, uh, for example, a stethoscope, I would call it a diagnostic product because he, the doctor is checking the heartbeat of the patient using a stethoscope. So uh, then there are also eye care products. And then we have hospital equipment. Hospital equipment we could be uh, hospital beds uh, or, or, or medical mattresses. Then we have medical sundries. The medical sundries range from uh, syringes to gloves, medical gloves. Then we have orthopedic. These have to do with bones. If you break a limb, uh, what kind of product do you need for your elbow or for your knee? Um, yeah, for different joints, have different orthopedic products. Then we have PPEs. PPEs mostly used by uh, uh, medical uh, personnel who are uh, treating COVID patients. Uh, these are protective equipments that cover you up, protect you from viral infections. Uh, then radiology products are um, uh, more about uh, X-ray machines and all that. Uh, then there are ENT products for ear, nose, and throat. Uh, if you talk about laboratory products, those are like microscopes, different kinds of microscopes. Then we have surgical equipment. Um, these the ones that doctors use for surgery. So these are the different categories we have on our platform. And it's easier for a patient to, to peruse through the various categories and look for what they want. Okay, got it. And these are all brand new. Yeah, so uh, we they are all basically brand new because, I mean, you wouldn't sell any used medical product because, I mean, the, those that comes along with infections and all that. Um, for, for the bigger machines, right. uh, let's say the radiology machines that are really, really uh, costly, we've not right. really onboarded some of them, but if, if there is a need to maybe have a used one that we could offer, uh, we're going to look into that. But if it's a used one, but in good condition, then we, we can we'll make some decisions on that going forward. Yeah, definitely. They um, I there are quite a few startups that I've come across that are based in the U.S. I I know it's a completely different situation, but just for information purposes, um, there was one founder who her she was taking care of a family member who I think had kidney problems, so dialysis, right? 
dialysis machine. And on one occasion, he started, he noted, it, it, she just noticed, it came to her attention that there were so many old machines lying around. There was a surplus of old machines that weren't being used because her relative was at one of the more advanced and sort of major city hospitals. I think there she was in Cleveland, Ohio, or something like that. And she actually started a business out of, um, selling used machines because there are a lot of smaller and less um, profitable uh, sort of hospitals in poor communities that don't have access to those machines. So they're happy to, to have the used ones. And she developed a whole business around that. But that's a different scenario in the U.S. where that would happen. So that's why I was really curious as to whether um, your machines are, are all new or if there's some used ones or, or stuff like that. Yeah, so um, I know about dialysis because my dad did dialysis back then. But uh, I'll, uh, for instance, uh, some of our government hospitals have uh, dialysis machines that um, basically clean blood. And on most patients, and really like they, they're not so confident of using them because you, you don't know the the patient that was there before you what conditions they had and you're not certain and, and some of the patients uh at times prefer to do uh peritoneal what they call peritoneal dialysis that uses fluids fluids going to your intestines and clean you and then push out yeah but um I think we 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 could we can look at that and and then uh, we will consult the um, the health regulators here to see if that can be allowed, uh, and then we could see if we can partner maybe like some of those colleagues in the US we can bring down those machines because most of those machines I know they are really expensive and. Uh, a couple of them are purchased by government. A very few private health facilities uh, could afford them. Yeah, I think this was mostly related to maybe like x-ray machines. I mean, obviously it would be like non-invasive sort of external machines. But the, it, the main issue was that the, the wealthier hospitals could afford these advanced machines with technologies, with the new technologies that they they didn't need them. So there would just be a bunch of machines lying around that were technically still new. Right. So I thought that was interesting that that was actually a thing that you could do that. But again, the U.S. is a big country. Every state is different, has its own regulations in each country. I mean, sorry, in each state. So it's a completely different scenario. But that was something I learned that um, I thought that was really interesting as well. But um. You mentioned something about patients not uh, feeling confident in that. I wanted to talk about trust. How is that an issue for you since you've started this platform? Do you believe you you still have to, to gain the trust of the consumers coming to your platform? Or is that just not, it's not an issue because it's the COVID era and people just really need access to these things? Uh, so trust is really very important. And uh, I wouldn't say we, we have all the trust as yet, but we trust is earned over time. And as an online platform, I think we've, we've learned they had lessons from a platform like Amazon. The reason they are the biggest in the world is because they really care about the customer. So the more you care about the customer, if, if you're doing what the customer wants and you have the deliveries on time, you have these products uh, specifications. They say when 
a patient receives the product, uh, the specifications online have to be the same that he, that they actually see when they 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 have this product in their in in their hands. So, um, what we want to do going forward, um, the partnership we've had with our courier agent is that if a a product is delivered and the customer is not satisfied with it, uh, the courier actually helps us to return the product uh, free of charge. They don't charge us for returns. And that product is taken back to the vendor and the vendor can have it replaced on confirmation that uh, the defects that the customer was talking about are true. So we have a return and replacement policy in place that helps us manage those situations. I think that plays a part in having, in building that trust uh, with the customer. So along the way, <clears throat> we just have to take care of the customer if we really want to earn that trust. And by doing that is making sure we have quality products on our platform and products that are actually selling as well and making such partnerships with various uh, agencies like the Korea have just shared work um, and even other partners that we have on board to make sure if, whether it's a vendor we have, we sign agreements with vendors and we have to make sure that vendors acknowledge the fact that if a product is not working, has a defect, is broken, is returned and replaced with, with a new one that, that works. Okay. Okay. Now I'd like to learn more about your team. Could you tell us a bit about your team, how big your team is? And you mentioned that you have a doctor in your team and uh, just the dynamics there. Yeah. So um, I actually, as a product manager, I, uh, I, the, the idea came from uh, the medical, the medical, uh, guys on the team, uh, um, my co-founder, Dr. James Kisambu, uh, brought uh, the idea to me as uh, a product manager and developer. So he shared with me and I helped him uh, bring this idea uh, into something real. So from strategy, we you know had a lot of discussion on how we could have this work. Um, and we have uh, two devs. Um, uh, Jackson is the backend developer, has uh, been you know, responsible for all the APIs, and Paul, uh, the front-end developer. And then we have Roger, who's been doing our user interface and user experience designs. And then we have Charles who helps us with is his professional lab technology. So he knows uh, a lot about uh, uh, medical equipment because that's what they study and uh, that's what they do mostly. So it's a blend of medical with uh, technology. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it helps us, you know, make a complete team uh, with that blend. Okay, great. Now, would you like to share with us, um, just so we can get um, a broad perspective of maybe just some general challenges 
faced by uh, medical establishments in the country. So we it can all sort of make sense. I mean, is this, for example, the access to medical supplies? It's not just, um, you mentioned all the different customers that are coming to your platform, obviously, but that's not a problem in isolation, right? It's, it's perhaps part of something bigger. So would you like to give us an overview of, of what things are like there? Yeah, so we, we a lot of challenges, you know, uh, uh, in our country. I think one of them is the, we, we don't have medical insurance in this country. Um, the government has been, uh, I mean, the public medical insurance, the, the private uh, medical insurance companies are there that provide that, but we don't have uh, the government medical insurance. Um, there's been back and forth legislation. I think this uh, parliament has been trying to pass. I don't know why they haven't passed it all this time, but uh, maybe we'll give them benefit of that along the way. So that is one. Um, and because of that, um, it's, it's really challenging to get the right medical uh, attention from government facilities. Most of them are fully packed with patients. Uh, there's um, not enough doctors, you know, to attend to these patients. And as I speak currently, uh, there is a, a, a medical strike going on in my country. Doctors have laid down their tools. They don't want to work because they need higher pay. So that that is the other challenge as well. So most of our health uh, care personnel uh, not really uh, taken care of in terms of uh, remunerations as they're supposed to because our neighbor Kenya I think pays better uh, to our medical personnel and most of our doctors actually uh, run away from Uganda and they go and work in Kenya for better pay. Uh, that's the other challenge and maybe the third uh, uh, just like you know, what we're trying to address, uh, we believe uh, Africa has leapfrogged a couple of technologies. Uh, we've we've had things like mobile money coming into play uh, because of the high population of unbanked people. So, uh, as MediHub, we we are trying to make use of the internet, you know, to provide access to to some of the items patients might need. And we, we've also made it easier and integrated with platforms like mobile money. Uh, so a patient can easily pay with mobile money for any product they find on a platform. And I think that's really, really helpful because um, the, the, we have about, I think close to about uh, 26 million mobile money subscribers in the country. Uh, that's uh, more than half the population. So th that that really helps in uh, having a, a, a payment uh, platform that everyone has access to, and they can use that to actually purchase something online. So um, a couple of problems, I think the ones I've shared, they're many more problems here locally. Uh, uh, but maybe the fourth I'll share is uh, we, we don't have enough healthcare facilities, you know, on the ground uh, to reach all the people because 
uh, at least we have regional referral hospitals in uh, all the major regions in the country. But if you go deep into the villages, yeah, you, you will not find uh, good healthcare uh, facilities. So I think that's maybe the other problem as well. Uh, so if, if say we, we as Medihub, if we are working with uh, some of these companies and we can have people order products on our platform, it will help reach those people that are on the ground because our courier agent can deliver to any part of the country uh, that are not able to access these uh, medical facilities or, or public medical facilities in, in their villages. Yeah, interesting, really, really interesting. That's, that gives us a really uh, good perspective on, on what is happening and how your platform is helping to, to alleviate some of, some of those stresses. So to wrap up in summary, what lessons have you learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so... I'm uh, looking forward to that question. Um, <laughs> you were? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always ask that question. So much. Uh, I've learned so much. Um, mm. uh, it, it's not easy to be an entrepreneur in Africa, one. Um, there's not a lot of VC funding in, in the, on this continent. Mm. Um, uh, most of our business people, the people that have the money, uh, prefer to invest in brick and mortar kind of businesses, but but technology is, I think, the future. And we've seen from developed countries that, uh, I mean, the biggest companies, the top ten companies right now in the world are tech companies. And you look at the likes of Facebook, Amazon. So, what is happening currently is, um, and and I've been through a lot of accelerators, you know, a lot of these tech sessions, uh, seminars and conferences. And uh, as the recent call I was on and asked, uh, I think some guy who is an advisor, uh, why is it that most of the African startups are currently domiciling in US, in Europe, in the tax havens, and why not in Africa? And I answered and it was like uh, the VC funding uh, does not is not interested in helping out startups on the African continent because they, they, they want to be protected. So if you're domiciled in America, if there's, if there's an issue, it's easy to have that redressed in, in the courts in the US and have that issue sorted out on the African continent. So you, you've seen a couple of uh, unicorns coming out of Nigeria, and most of those are basically operating on the African continent, but they are registered in, in the US and all the different places. So th th that's one of the major issues I came across. Uh, it's not easy to tap into uh, VC funding as a startup on the African continent. You have to go to those markets if you really want to tap uh, that uh, that money. And if you are a local startup, I think one of the things we need to address is make our our business people and our, and our entrepreneurs, our philanthropists, 
appreciate that we need to invest in ideas that are African. And, and a lot of our African people have amazing ideas. But if you're running a startup and two, three years down on the road, you can't scale because you don't have that funding cushion to help you, then you're definitely going to die. So I've had that challenge. Uh, and I think the other challenge uh, that we have on the continent is uh, a, a lot of the countries on the continent are, are not politically stable. And, you know, it's it's not easy for young people that are creating these amazing ideas. Uh, you, they need to be in an environment that, that helps them um, work on these ideas uh, that, that, you know, an environment that whereby you have access to the internet. Uh, if, if you're like, let's say in Somalia and you're in a country that uh, that is uh, unstable and you, you can't uh, make use of the internet and build solutions online, then it's not easy for you to tap into the market uh, uh, abroad and uh, uh, Europe or, or the US, so that 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 is also a challenge. And um, the the other challenge, I'm not, I, I won't be shy to share this, is um, uh, because the funding comes from overseas, and um, I, I, I saw some time back uh, online uh, the top startups in East Africa. They listed the top startups in East Africa and very few had local founders or local CEOs. Most of the startups had, most of the startups had white CEOs or white co-founders. Uh, so if, if money that is coming from overseas can only trust a white CEO, a white co-founder, uh, then we need to, as a continent, um, reach out to our investors and entrepreneurs locally who, who can actually who can actually help us fund uh, the local startups. So um, most of the big startups that are on the African continent are not necessarily owned by Africans. Yeah, they are owned by foreigners, most of them. So that, that's also uh, another uh, problem uh, for entrepreneurs on the continent. Yeah, a lot of what you've outlined are consistent themes on that founders from the African continent keep mentioning to myself as I speak with them on this podcast. So they're they're not new. I'm curious to know how do you navigate these challenges? By the way, I want to add those startups that are domiciled um, outside of the continent in Estonia or even in the US, for example, there are tax implications as well for having um, for those investors uh, having their the, those startups based in, in the US. But that's a whole other conversation. But I just wanted to mention that. But um, yeah, so how are you navigating all of these challenges? I mean, despite not having funding, despite local uh, local capital not investing in, in founders, despite um, 
founders locally not not being able to um i guess in east africa not being able to have the same advantages as foreign startups that everything that you outlined how are you navigating all of these and what lessons can other founders learn from you uh, to maintain just that consistency and and be resilient despite because these are reasons for for some to to give up right why why have yeah. you kept going yeah so one um what what we have done is uh indulge our government uh to actually support local innovation uh, so we have a ministry of ict um uh, here in uganda and they have an innovation fund that they came up with uh, through i mean the interventions they had with with the entrepreneurs on the ground uh who actually were looking out for funding but they couldn't find it so um through the innovation fund uh our government supports uh innovative ideas, uh, technology innovative ideas that are, are tackling issues in health, in in education, in in, in uh, agriculture. Yeah, because agriculture is really big here. Uh, about 80% of our population are employed uh, by agriculture and it contributes about 20, 20 to 25% of our GDP. So, uh, it's not enough, though, because, uh, of course, the, the Innovation Fund locally has its own challenges, but it's 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 the beginning. I hope it will get better along the way. And also, as entrepreneurs, I think the other way around it is uh, if you're working on a technology solution, you really need to start lean because you don't have that financial muscle to to go all the way out. So once you start lean and you can work with what you have on board, the few customers that you can get on board and make it make your platform customer-centric such that what you're making from your customers can actually help to improve your solutions and scale it and grow it. So as you scale and as you're making money, then it will be easier for you to actually tap into some of that funding. It's 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 so the challenge uh, most of the startups have also is being investor ready. How do you become investor ready? And no investor wants to invest in in a local startup that's actually not making money. So you have to make money, and and when you're making money, you really don't need you're not that desperate uh, because you you could actually reinvest in your own startup and grow bigger. So even if you're growing slowly you could along the way get there. But if you get that cushion of of funding that comes in in timely, then it helps you to actually scale to like different countries. So you have to first work within your country and make your solution work. And then you can uh, later move on if you have the financial capability to do that. Yeah, definitely. Well, it was really great to speak with you and to learn the the journey, the genesis of MediHub. And where do you see MediHub in, say, five to ten years? Where would you like yes. it to be? Yeah, so uh, we, we want to be um, the medical Amazon of Africa. We want to be the one-stop center for anyone that's you know interested in 
buying any medical sandals online. Uh, we we want to first concentrate on what we think we can do best and not do so many things that you know will make us lose our focus. So I hope we can be that. Uh, I know it's not easy. We really need to work hard on it, but um, I pray we achieve what we have in our vision. Brilliant, Edgar. And where can we reach you if people want to reach out to you? Can you tell us uh, your email or your handles for your social media online, website, and whatnot? Yes, yeah, so, so, so if you uh, go to our website, medihub.ug, uh, our email is, is on, it's on the website, on the footer. you find our social handles, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, you could reach us on any of those uh, social media handles. Okay, great. The pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joanne. Until next time, bye for now. See you. Thank you so much. Rare Ones, thanks for listening in to Series 10, 54 Days Across Africa, a collaboration with Ghana's Startup Lounge Africa. I look forward to being with you again next week as we continue hearing from some of the startups featured on the East Africa block of the tour. In the meantime, visit the Kutana Africa platform at www.kutanaafrica.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, do share it with your friends. Visit the Rarebirds platform to learn and hear more from startups in emerging markets. Download our podcast episodes by visiting the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. You can also listen in via iTunes, Spotify, Google, Anchor, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our growing global community of rare ones by subscribing to our weekly newsletter on our website and visit our shop to purchase some rare gear for yourself or as a gift for your friends. Thanks again for listening in and until next time, rare ones. Bye for now.